Hello everyone, welcome to the Boxing Size Podcast. This is episode 7 and this is the second instalment of our three-part mini-series on our roundtable discussion about sports-specific strength and conditioning. In this episode we're going to be talking about the strength and conditioning coach's role within like a training camp setting. So when we go away, uh, whether that's a remote training camp, a warm weather training camp or like leading up towards a fight when uh, a boxer is fighting overseas. We've got some fantastic experience here. We've got Alan Ruddock that went away with Kel Brook and the Ingle Gym back in 2014 when he went and beat Sean Porter in uh, LA. We've got Dan Lawrence that's been out to Vegas and LA with other boxing champions. We've got Gary Hutt that is uh, with GB Boxing. Obviously going out away to different tournaments and different training camps. And I'll share some experience as well when I've been away uh, to different training camps. Warm weather in Fort Ventura, away in Dubai, Japan and Chicago as well. If you're interested in hearing the first episode of this three-part mini-series where we talk about exercise selection in strength and conditioning, go check that out. And please subscribe to the channel so you don't miss out on any future episodes. So let's get on with the topic of strength and conditioning coaches' role within a training camp setting. I'm going to move on to uh, topic number two, which is a strength and conditioning coaches or sports scientists' role within a training camp. This can be either just when we're at home, when they're at the local gym, or when we're actually out on on training camp so um you know talking to gary about time in in kazakhstan dan's been out to to vegas twice but i'm gonna um start off with alan ruddick because alan you was probably the first out of all of us to go out and do a training camp uh you you was thrown out of the lab into the mad world of the, the ingle gym uh, training camp out in Vegas and LA for Kel Brook in, in 2014. What were the key roles that you undertook and what were the uh, kind of challenges that you faced when you was out there? Um, key roles, gosh. I reckon the, the, first, the, first, the first thing I thought of was I thought back for um, a presentation that I'd heard uh, a couple of years back by a physiologist called David Martin who was working at the Australian Institute of Sport at the time Um, and he was giving a presentation on sports science in general and his concluding remarks were were something around um, you're not just the data guy you're not just that guy that collects GPS if you work in football or um, you're not the guy that just analyzes the power data if you work in cycling or you know you're not just the person that analyzes speed if you're you're a running coach you've actually got a really important role to play in relaying and transitioning important information from the coach and the athlete and integrating that information into the program and most athletes will see you as a central part of that program, especially if you've got good
good experience of doing that and you can communicate that with your athletes and they'll often see you as a role model and um, someone who they look up to and someone who you should set benchmarks for them to meet their high performance and we all know what boxers are like in camp they if they're doing something if they're on a diet and they're losing weight they expect you to do the same so for example in uh in vegas with kel if he if he's been given a certain amount of food um, and i'm eating with him i would eat less than him and that that would show to him that i'm on his wavelength i'm eating the same or less than him because i don't really need as much as him but he's he's losing weight and so what i'm doing to him there is i'm setting an example and saying look if i can do it you can do it um the same if there was a a session on the treadmill if the guys were doing it i'd do it as well and i would try and test everything out and show them and set the example to them that you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, you, you can still give this a go and you can still give 100% effort and you can know importantly how it feels. So that's, that's the approach that I took in to that, that training camp is that I'm not just a person on the periphery carrying around a laptop collecting skin temperature data and, and analysing it. I'm trying my best to use that insight to integrate within them and to help them understand themselves whilst also setting an example and being a role model um, rather than just just taking bits of data here and there and, and, and popping in um, and, and just doing things when it suits me it's really important that you have that holistic overall view that you are integral to the camp and you are important to this and every single piece of data that you take has to mean something to the guys as well and you're really important to help them bridge that that gap and and, and uh help them understand themselves a little bit better yeah i think it's a fantastic opportunity for practitioner to get an understanding a true understanding what they go through on a day-to-day basis and not only from training, but nutrition as well. Um, you know, I, I was similar to you. I kind of followed suit from you on training camp. I eat basically what, what they're eating, um, maybe a little bit more. Um, you know, I'm, I'm only drinking water and doing like training once or twice a day as well. And I'm like thinking, plumbing out there, they're on less fuel than me, they're training harder than me. And then I'm still having to get a certain amount out of them. So I think it's a great way to get a better understanding of the athlete. I remember walking, but only to a certain degree, because I was walking down uh, the street in Chicago with Jordan. And, you know, me and Jordan, we're, we're good mates as well as, you know, a coach and athlete. And we're walking down and I just went, it's horrible being hungry, isn't it? And he looked at me like he was going to hit me. I was genuinely scared. And he just went, you don't even know what hungry means. And uh, yeah, and just to get about 10% of kind of what, understanding what they're going through will have a massive impact on your program, not only 
that scenario, but I'm actually at home as well. Tommy, have you left your phone on, mate? Apologies, I've left my mic on as well, sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm going to link that in nicely to, because we've got Dan, who's been to Vegas a couple of times. We've gone from Alan, Alan in Vegas. We're going to go to Kazakhstan with Gary, and then we're going to go back to Vegas. We're going to um, have a nice Vegas sandwich. I went Benidorm last year, Danny. Don't know if that <laughs> I was just sat here thinking, like, these, these places that you guys with the pros go to sound lovely. Um, yeah. So when I first started, I was thrown off the deep end with GB Boxing, really, when I first started. Because after, like, three days of being in the job, I went off to Belarus for a training camp. Yeah. Um, never met the athletes before, never met the coaches before, met them in the airport, um, really. Um, and... Mm. Yeah, it was like a baptism of fire, but the training environments are very different. And I think I've just been, I've really enjoyed listening to Alan's reflections there on like the role that um, the strength and conditioning coach or sports scientist plays in the, in the broader team and also the kind of dynamics within a camp situation. Like the tendency for our training camps will be that we'll have between say 10 and 25 athletes on a single camp. Um, so it's a little bit different again in terms of the dynamics that, that you guys face um, but a big role in terms of our setup and something that we myself and Michael Pughes the full-time S&C coach with GB Boxing are really conscious of is kind of knowing your place knowing your role and knowing what the key deliverables are from you on that camp um, what's your minimum viable delivery um, what are the things that if you're going, why are you going on that camp? What's the, what's the added value that you're going to add? Um, and what's the expectation that everybody's got of that? Um, don't try and go outside of your own remit. Do what you're there to do um, and support others if they need support. But then also understand kind of that it can, it's an intense environment on the training camp like, and it ramps up as you go through, um, particularly if you're close to fight date. Um, and being able to switch off from the job or release tension or be something else other than just the S&C coach, I think is absolutely a fundamental role. And we talk about it as being, and the support staff at GB Boxing are excellent in terms of that. They are very attuned to the person's the kind of person focused um requirements of the trip um rather than just being focused on task 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 um but we're like the glue that support the coaching team and the pressures that they're under and the athlete and the pressures that they're under to enable them to get the most out of their training process um so i think uh, then kazakhstan like i say it's a really interesting one to be able to go around the world and see how other countries in the amateur game try and support their boxers and the, it, you always see things that you do yourself which kind of confirms your understanding and makes you feel really good that you're on the right track um, or at least you're both on the wrong track um, you get to see things that challenge your thinking and then you get to see things that you've never seen before and you um, can take on board and, and really can try and drive forward. But even the dynamic of the boxers, seeing what other countries do and seeing how other countries train and the way that they then view the training that we do is an uh, interesting dynamic to try and balance. Um, so like I said, in Kazakhstan, the, the training gym is probably 70 metres long by about 30 metres and they share it with wrestling. 
there's four rings in there and the rest of the space is just open space. Um, and during, for every single warm-up in a training session, the boxers wrestle and roll around on their head um, so that they're warming up the neck, strengthening the neck and all of those pieces. Um, they obviously, while we're on a training camp, they invite our boxers in to join in. Um, now, for them, that's like taking a, a step from sagittal plane strength and conditioning to a whole different world of, of challenge. Um, and it's interesting to get exposure to that, but also kind of balance the risks that come with that as well. Um, and I think it comes back to where I started in terms of understanding the place, understanding the space, understanding the key deliverables to a camp and what you want to get from it and then being comfortable to be yourself within that environment, not just the, the persona that you try and put on as a coach. Absolutely. I like what you, how you started it there, Gary, obviously transitioning from, from Alan's where it's about like kind of immersing yourself, but you can't do that for, for 25 athletes and part of a, part of a squad else you'd be running yourself ragged. And I think that's an important point to make is when I've gone out on training camps, when I went, first time went to Fort Ventura, I literally did everything and tried to, you know, probably overworked myself a little bit. I, I was training around about five or six of the athletes um, along with Kel, um, you know, Kel Brook being the, the, the main one that I was training and, and focusing on and trying to monitor. Um, but I also like training uh, Kid Gallard, um, had Lee Wood in a few sessions, Satif Shafiq, and then obviously Jordan and Cal and Yusuf were there. Um, so I was trying to, try, trying to juggle a few athletes at the same time. And you've got to try and be realistic on, on the level of service that you can do and, and really focus on your different priorities. Um, when you go one-to-one -one with an athlete, uh, so in Chicago with uh, Gav McDonald, I was analysing his hydration status. So basically I was measuring how much he was having a piss and how often he was and everything like that. I'm managing his water balance throughout the day and his effect of water loading. Now, if you were going into a training camp where you've got five boxes or even 25 boxes, You've got to be really realistic on what you can actually do. So, yeah, I think that was was a great contrast between both Alan and, and Gary. Um, Dan, I want to bring you in. Um, what's going to be interesting about you, Dan, is the fact that you went out to Vegas in 2015 or 2014 with um, uh, George Groves. And then, like recently, you went with, with John Ryder quite a gap between that um what did you learn from that first camp what experience have you uh, had over the years and how did that adapt to, to your camp with uh, john yeah good question danny i'm blessed to have a few experiences there we've had big bear twice with george groves 2014 2015 we've done la training camp last year for john Ryder, and the fight was in vegas on the canelo jacobs card and um, I've also had another experience for John's fight with Callum Smith most recently, where we lived in a flat together in London. He got away from the family, hired an Airbnb for three and a half weeks. He just had a, a lovely young, um, young son, so it wasn't really conducive to one of our big rocks in terms of sleep to optimise performance. So he had to get away from that. And you know, I was cooking for him and doing everything for him. And I think for me, 
the big thing in my motto has always been is go above and beyond, you know, and I think any one of my fighters will, will say that I do do that. And I think Gary alluded to it there is we've got to look at these individuals as yes, they are supreme and elite athletes, but look at, treat them as humans first. Okay. So you build relationships with them and you know, I've got experiences on fight day with John Ryder. I'm running down Vegas strip trying to find, uh, you know, the correct, the correct gels for him. We brought the SIS gels, but there were some other gels that he wanted. And I don't know if anyone's been to Vegas Strip. It's very hard to cross Vegas Strip. If you see a shop across the road, you've got to literally run around for 30 minutes in the Vegas heat. It was, it was funny because I actually got some brownie points from Tony Sims because he saw me running. I literally had a keg of water and two bags running down Vegas Strip. We were getting picked up in like 20 minutes. And uh, I think I got some brownie points for that one. But it just goes back to saying no ego. You just got to get on with it and do everything you can for that fighter. Um, without doubt, we have dual roles. So, you know, whether I'm a strength and conditioning coach or not, I'll be taking care of every other aspect just to make things easier for the fighter. Um, in regards, flip it back around to your question, the difference, you know, um, I suppose... I can talk about it now because he's retired, but George, George was quite closed in his feelings. And I think boxers as a generalization are, um, you know, hard work, show no signs of weakness. They may not articulate their message or communicate with you unless you really go under the, uh, under the bonnet and really know that athlete and have been working with them for a while. So, um, you know, he kept a lot on board that in hindsight and me now being, you know, uh, I suppose, a better practitioner, but also a better communicator. It would have been nice to get a bit more information out of him that I could have then influenced his decision to find out how he really felt. Um, because I knew certain things, which I won't delve, delve into, weren't right that camp from a stressor point of view. Um, but someone like John Ryder, I'll flip it to him, is that, you know, we get on very well on a human level. He really believes in the value that we're bringing to the table from a high performance program. He's seen and felt the changes. And his performance have shown shown that as well. So I think he's very much bought into the whole process. Um, I think also is as much as I say go above and beyond, and you want to be doing as much as you can for the athlete. Also know that sometimes silence is okay, and don't speak all the time like myself now. So apologies, but don't speak all the time. Just sit there. You know, know your role. I think again, Gary said there, know your role. Yes, we go above and beyond. Also, like again in Liverpool, John Ryder. So he's there with Tony Sims. I'm there. I'll bring the water. You know, I'm basically the water boy, to be quite frank. But you, you've got to be. You just got to do all you can. And I sit there and I don't say anything. You know, I'll speak when I'm spoken to because I know this is a fighter. A couple of days before his huge fight, trying to make weight. He's dialing things in technically. He needs to have, from a psychological point of view, a very short, sharp, and explosive session to walk away from that to say, right, box ticked. I feel great. Now I recover. Now I weigh in. Now I fight. You know, so don't try and as much as I say, be busy, don't be too busy, you know, mm -hmm. know your athlete and know your environment is probably what I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been looking at some, some old videos because obviously I've got more time on my hands at the moment, but um, on the Cal Brook camp um, in Fort Ventura 2016, I like, I had my GoPro out for like a lot of the sessions. So there was a lot of raw footage in there. And I'm going, I'm like cringing on how I was acting there because I was so outside my comfort zone. I felt like I had to like kind of be like a, a character and, and react to things and everything like that rather than having a like a, a more quiet and more calm and collected approach. And when I was in Chicago, um, 
with the likes of, uh, well, Gav were fighting, Gav McDonald, but I had Jamie McDonald, Fowler, Jordan Gill. You know, I've travelled halfway around the world with them already that year. So I was, I was like quite like personable with them. They know what my personality is. But there were also, obviously, Dave, Dave Caldwell. You know, me and Dave get on really well. But it was the first time that like, I'd been in the presence of uh, Tony Bellew. And Tony said that towards the back end of the thing, like described what I was like as a person, saying is like cool, calm, collected, quite reserved. And I was just like, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't sound like me. But that's what I wanted to, to portray. You know, I was keeping my professional hat on. And I was quite proud that he, that's what he, he thought of me rather than kind of what I probably were like in, in Fort Ventura where we're trying to be like one of the lads. And when, when you're part of that collective group and you, you start getting on with them, you can kind of easily be dragged into that. So I like, I like what, you say, what you're saying there, Dan. And, you know, and what you're saying about George as well, like if you could go back and probably you'd, you'd try and get a little bit more out of him. There's loads of situations like looking back where on experience where I just think like, I wish I said something there or I wish I acted it on, on it there. And through experience, you know, when to act on things and make things happen. You can't, you know, with, with boxing, you know, one fight can change their uh, trajectory of their career and you want to give them every possible like, opportunity and best chance of, of winning and performing. So like, now when a situation arises rather than kind of being quiet and not knowing what to what to do about it you make sure that there's an, an action uh, action plan put in place so i enjoyed that reflection i could definitely uh, resonate from it as well Danny, on that can i just close yeah. on no rushing for time but i have three main principles trust communication and respect you said about you know being a joker and things like that and I'm, I'm not the joker, you know, it's not in my nature, but I, I'll absolutely get on with them in a, in a friendship basis, you know, and I get on with them as yeah. humans. I enjoy the interaction, providing they adhere to my three main, main rocks and principles of trust, communication and respect. I can have a joke with them, but unless if the, if the lines are getting blurry on my three main rocks, then I have to change the approach slightly. So I think it's just having some boundaries in there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. Just one more thing as well, Dan. I know, like it's just been burning <laughs> up a little bit. Um, there's something that goes under the radar in a lot of this, in terms of self-care for yourself, um, how you manage yourself, and make sure that you're in the right place to deliver what you need to in the right like, at the right time for the yeah. for the athlete. Um, so I just think if we went through a whole discussion of how to manage, like what the role of the SNC coaches in training camps and stuff, it would be an absolute um, missed missed opportunity if we didn't talk about um how important it is to understand and know how to manage and support yourself to be the best you can be um in and around everything else that's going on yeah absolutely yeah you can be dragged down into you know having to do something 24 7 having to be on work but you know we wouldn't be like that at home we have our home comforts we get to speak to our family and everything like that on training camp really that shouldn't be no different you should make sure that you're having that time allocated to to give yourself some self-care and then the the kind of the pressures of training camp won't get on top of you as well because like the back end of training camp especially if there's a fight added on to the end of that that's a crucial time where you've got to be 100% focused and on, on top of your game if you go in and, and 
training like a caveman, eating like a caveman and not speaking to your family back at home and everything like that. And you, you stress, you might take your eye off the ball at a very crucial time. Loved all them conversations, guys, because, you know, I'd written down like kind of what kind of tasks can we do in terms of like warm-ups and monitoring and, and kind of what loads can we take and everything like that. But I think what we covered was the most important, more important aspects of how we manage ourselves in our professional demeanour and how we engage with our athletes as well. So I think that's some uh, fantastic discussions there. So that brings us to the end of this part of the discussion. Some fantastic discussions and reflections on the experiences that have been gained going out on these different training camps. Episode 8 and the third part of this mini-series will include our discussions around sports-specific fitness training. So how does high-intensity interval training meet the demands of boxing training and competitive performance? To make sure that you don't miss out on this episode, please hit the subscribe button and make sure you go and check out our latest episodes of the Boxing Science Podcast. We've got some fantastic episodes already done on the science behind boxing, strength training, strategies to employ during lockdown and also we've got our Q&A sessions as well where we talk about a range of different subjects. So if you haven't hit that subscribe button, hit it now and hopefully we'll see you on the next episode.